we're finishing up the lesson, and the one we're going to talk about today, you're going to be like, what? And, uh, but actually, we're going, to, we're going to recap all of it, so it actually will be good. You'll get a good snapshot. So hopefully this will be good. <clears throat> all right. All right. Let's, uh, let's go to Lord in prayer, and then we'll start. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time we can gather together in freedom. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is here among us. Thank you for your, your book that you preserved for us to learn from. Help me, Lord, to teach today in a way that's pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that each one of these people would learn something from your scriptures today and that all the glory would go to Jesus Christ and you, God, the Father. And uh, Lord, just help us to be sensitive to your uh, words today. Um, May this be profitable not for just our intellect, but for our uh, life for you, that we can live a life pleasing to you, that we can not be uh, turned aside by winds of doctrine, that we can be established firmly upon the truth of your written word. And we pray you bless Brother Adams as he preaches later on. Just fill him with your spirit and speak to us out of your word through him. We pray that you bless this time for your sake and your honor and glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So, really quick, for those of you who have the outline from last week, we, for you uh, new, newbies in here, uh, we are talking about seven baptisms in the Bible. The reason we're talking about that is because the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy, I'll get it right, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, to rightly divide the word of truth. What does that mean? It means to discern the differences between things, to be able to distinguish between things that may look the same, but they're different to be able to distinguish between times and places and events and things, to rightly divide, to make the distinctions rightly, okay? So we're talking about seven baptisms in your Bible. Um, we, uh, well, I'm going to recap all of them at the end so that you guys have a good, uh, good uh, summary. But what we talked about last week was the sixth baptism. That's, if you look through your outline, I'm going to go through it really quickly. Um, <clears throat> and I try, every time I say this, I eat my words. I'm going to trust we're not going to be very long today. But... Um, I'm going to try to do this quickly, though. Okay. Um, uh, point number six is believers' water baptism. That's the that's the title on uh, point number six. Okay. Um, the we we started with Matthew 28:19 for with the command to baptize all nations. It's a New Testament command because it's done after the death of Christ, which makes the division with the New Testament. The Old Testament is before the death of Christ. New Testament is after the death of Christ. It's a New Testament command which makes it distinct from John the Baptist's baptism. It's not the same, okay? And this, this baptism, uh, the Lord tells his disciples, it's to all nations. So that also makes it not just a Jewish baptism, um, which some people would teach that it is, all right? So we learned the command in Matthew 28, 19, the letter B, the practice of it, okay? Um, I talked about the book of Acts, um, just so for those who didn't have the outline last week. The book of Acts is a tricky book to get church-age doctrine from because it's transitional. Things are changing, and uh, the, the church is establishing New Testament doctrine. So trying to find a pattern of things can prove to be difficult. But there is one pattern that I see in the book of Acts concerning believers' baptism, and that is number two. One consistent pattern is that belief of the gospel always preceded being baptized in water. All right? And we looked at a couple of those passages. Letter A gives you some of those passages in Acts, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10. All right? And then the, the, really the, ca the capstone for this one is letter B, Acts 8, 35 through 38. When the Ethiopian eunuch wants to be baptized, 
Philip doesn't just say, okay, let's go and be baptized. He says, um, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. So Philip firmly requires to know that the eunuch has believed before he will baptize him. And we also established another point with this. If belief precedes water baptism, then this excludes infants from being water baptized. All right? An infant cannot believe on the gospel. Therefore, they have no business being baptized. All right? And I don't have to elaborate on that, I don't think. Um, all right, letter C. The method, we also pulled from Acts chapter 8. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, all right, um, which we talked about. You, you have to go down into water. Why would Philip have to go down into the water with him? Because in order to immerse him, he would have to be down in the water with him, which is what the meaning of the word baptize is, is to immerse or to submerge, all right? So baptism is immersion. It's always been immersion. Every one of these seven baptisms is by some sort of immersion, it's not always water, but it is by immersion, okay? And so this would also follow that it is by immersion into literal water. <clears throat> Letter D, the purpose for this baptism. Um, and I, I, I just want to stay, say again, like I said last week, I'm just going to be honest. There's nothing in the Bible that says this baptism is for this. But we can see through, the, you know, through inference that this is, number one, public testimony of, our, of, of what? of our previous baptism that we talked about, of our baptism into Christ. This baptism demonstrates publicly what has happened to us spiritually, okay? And I, letter A, recall that our baptism into Christ credits us with having been buried and also risen with Christ. And I don't have time to teach all that now, but um, <clears throat> for those of you who are new, but um, that's what it credits us with. As if we had died for our sins and risen again, we didn't, but Christ did, and being put into Christ gives us that credit, okay? That's what that baptism by the Spirit into Christ gives us, and this baptism with water demonstrates that. New Testament, letter B, New Testament water baptism shows this thing by immersion into water, which typifies burial, and emergence out of the water, which typifies resurrection, and this is why it must be by immersion and not any other method. So we also talked about this. Sprinkling does not demonstrate this fact. You're, you, the, the illustration is of being buried and risen. Sprinkling doesn't demonstrate that, so sprinkling is not a biblical or even a logical means of baptism. So it's a picture of burial and resurrection at the end of letter B there. Letter C, it's a visible picture of what has spiritually happened to us at salvation. There's your little sound bite, okay? That's what this water baptism is. It's a visible picture publicly of what has spiritually happened to us at salvation. And we closed last week with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Paul freely admits he practices water baptism, okay? Um, he says, I baptize a couple people. I can't remember if I baptize any else other than that. These are who are baptized, but he says what? Look at, look, you know, we'll, we'll go there, and then we'll jump to the next one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 17. Paul says he baptized... Crispus and Gaius, he says he baptized the household of Stephanus, couldn't remember whether he baptized anybody else, but he did baptize in water. And verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, for Christ sent me not to baptize. Well, what did he send him to do? But to preach the gospel. So Paul makes the distinction under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the gospel is not baptism. 
It's not baptism, okay? It, it, it's something else afterwards. So if you've got groups, which they do, that preach that you have to be baptized to be saved, it's flying in the face of everything in Scripture. I understand there's some passages that you can twist and make it say that, but when you look at everything else that talks about how you get saved, it's by belief, it's by belief, it's by belief, it's by trusting in the gospel. Where's the gospel found? The gospel of, of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. No water. <laughs> and anybody that says there's, they're trying to insert water into that gospel, Paul says, this is what I received, this is the gospel by which you are saved. There's no water in it, okay? Um, it's not there. And you say, why are you getting so hot and bothered about this, Dave? Because there's people that teach that. There's people that teach that, and you've got to understand and rightly divide the Scriptures to, to, to know, like when they pull you to a, a, a passage that talks about another baptism, and they're trying, trying to say, this is why you've got to, okay, you got, that's why you've got to distinguish them, okay? All right, now, sit tight for those of you that are new to this class. This, <laughs> you're going to be like, why am I even here today? Um, um, we've gone through six baptisms. Here's number seven. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> All right. What I've tried to do is teach what the Bible says, not what I think it means or not what a church teaches it says. I'm trying to teach what the Bible says about each of these baptisms. Doctrinally, what is the truth of those baptisms? What is the significance? Who is it for? Um, those kind of things. Okay? That's what I've been trying to do throughout all these baptisms. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> and look at verse 1. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. Which you ought to always take note of that, because every time he says that, it's something that the church is ignorant of. I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat that same spiritual meat and did all drink that the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And what he's going to go into there is going to, he's going to talk about, he, the, his point of bringing that up is, is he's going to talk about um, uh, overcoming temptation. But um, he says in verse 2, well, look at verse 1, all, all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and are all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What's he talking about there? What event is he talking about? Crossing the Red Sea, okay? What's, what's that cloud? Yep, yep. It was, it was that pillar of cloud that, that led him by day, and it was the pillar of fire by night. What particular thing happened in this event? Does anybody remember what happened with that pillar of cloud? and fire with the crossing of the Red Sea. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to call on you, Brother Adams, because I know you know what it is. <laughs> Who knows what, what that is? Does it, okay, let me do it this way. Who does not know what happened with that cloud when they passed the Red Sea? Raise your hand. Who, who does know what happened with it? Who's afraid to raise their hand? <laughs> okay. Okay. 
So if you'll recall, back um, when, they crossed, when they crossed the Red Sea, let me, let me, let me turn, let's see, it's Exodus 14. I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to have to go through this. All right. Okay, you know that normally that pillar of cloud, Exodus 14, normally that pillar of cloud would lead them during the day. All right. Um, now, as they're about, as, as they're crossing the Red Sea, okay, they've been pushed up against the Red Sea, and the children of Israel have just escaped Egypt, and they're here at the Red Sea, and they got, we've got nowhere to go, and they start complaining against Moses, and, and God has Moses stretch out his staff and um, parts the Red Sea. Verse 19 of Exodus 14, and the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. So that thing which was, if you can imagine, here's the children of Israel and the cloud is before them. What does it do? It goes behind them, okay? And why does it do that? Look at verse uh, 20. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. So the Egyptians are following that camp of Israel and uh, the cloud goes between them. And, uh, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, to the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to these, to Israel, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And it made a separation between the children of Israel and the, people, and, the, and, the, and the Egyptians, okay? So that cloud, not only are they going through the sea, that cloud went, they went through the cloud there so it could go to the back of them, and it divides them from, from uh, the Egyptians, Okay? All right, so if you go back to 1 Corinthians 10. <clears throat> Look what it says about this, okay? Now it says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, how all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, okay? So we all know what it's talking about now, okay? They were under the cloud because that cloud, you know, well, look at verse 2, and we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud. Do you understand how that happened now? That cloud went from the front to the back and they went through that cloud, and we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All right? So here's the thing. The Lord calls this, in, in his scriptures, he calls it a baptism. Why? Because they were between the walls of water in the sea. They never got wet, but they were under that sea, and they were in that cloud. Okay? It was, it's, again, it's an immersion. Did they get wet in the water? No. All right? But they, they, were, they were down there in it. Okay? So he, he likens that escape through the Red Sea and the protection of the cloud there, he likens it to a baptism. All right? So the question is, what is the doctrinal application of this? I have no idea. <laughs> I, can't, I, I honestly have looked at this, and uh, I, I don't know what the significance for Israel is of that baptism, other than this, in which it is, which is really the application of why Paul brings it up in, in chapter 10. I can't give you a doctrinal teaching on this um, legitimately. Now, maybe somebody else can, and that's fine. Um, but he calls it a baptism because they went through that cloud, and they went through that sea, and it's, in, it's an immersion, just like every other baptism was. But I was thinking about this, you know, with the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, it's Paul talking about these things are examples unto us and examples unto us that we should not lust after evil things. You see that in verse 6. 
these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Why is he bringing that up after this baptism? He calls this thing, they're passing through the sea, he calls it a baptism. So while I can't really give you a doctrinal teaching of what, what the significance for Israel was, now let's just stop for a second here. We always, we always ask, when we see a baptism in the Bible, we ask ourselves three questions. What's the three questions? Who's been in the class? What's the three questions? Lydia, one, one. Who is baptizing? Who's doing the baptizing? What's the second question? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> okay, who's doing the baptism? What? Into what? Okay, that's the third one. What's the, what's the middle one? You, you said it. Who, who is being baptized? Okay, so for those of you who are new, who's doing the baptism? To who? And what are they being baptized into, okay? And we're, for you, those of you who new, we'll clarify this in a second, all right? Who's doing the baptizing in this? God, okay? Who's being baptized? Israel. Into what? The, the cloud and the sea, okay? All right? All right, so that's, that's the answer for this. What is the significance? I can't tell you that. I have no idea, <laughs> okay? So, Mr. Tim. So, <clears throat> We're going to talk about that. So that, as a practical application, yes. And I think it does lend itself to the doctrine a little bit. I could not distinctly come up with why this was significant for Israel doctrinally as a baptism, okay? But there is, you're, you're touching on the right thing there, okay? All right, so, um, okay, so we understand what this baptism is. Who, to whom, into what, all right? Look at verse 2. They were all baptized unto Moses, which I thought was interesting wording there, Okay? Um, well, if you're, you know, the Bible talks a lot about things, um, you know, we, we, okay, so Paul, Paul says in, uh, I think it's in Romans chapter 1, where he says he's separated unto the gospel of God. Um, you know, what does that mean? It means he had to come away from something else. He was preaching Judaism previously, and now he's preaching the gospel of God, all right? Uh, Paul said that he, in Acts chapter 20, Paul said that he, what, what was his message? He says he preached repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. The repentance was, he didn't list a whole bunch of things that they repented from. He just talked about what they were going to. Okay? You might have to repent of your religion to get saved. You might have to repent of, of your behavior to get saved, but you gotta, the ultimate thing is you've got to turn towards God. Your repentance is always towards something. Paul's separation was towards something. Their baptism was unto Moses, why is that significant? Because he was the leader at the time. He was the one that they followed out of Egypt. Now, of course, it was God that led them by the pillar of fire and pillar, uh, pillars of cloud, but um, Moses was there, the, the figurehead. They're baptized unto Moses. What is that? Why is that significant? Because what are they leaving? You said it. What are they leaving? They're leaving Egypt, where they're in bondage, where they're in captivity. And once they go through that the, the Red Sea, and that thing closes behind them on the, on the Egyptian army, there's no going back. There's no going back. There's a distinct separation right there with what happens. Now, here's the, here's the practical application of this baptism, and I think it's what, one of the purposes why Paul wrote, wrote it in this passage. Now, many times they did want to go back, but they're not crossing that sea again. God did that. God opened it up and God shut it, 
and they were distinctly divided from Egypt from that point forward. All right, look at letter number one here. <clears throat> what's, the, what's the practical application of this baptism? You know, if you look through the Old Testament, Israel is constantly reminded of this event in their history. Remember what I did for you at the Red Sea, God says to them. Remember what I did for you with the Egyptian army. Remember how I took you out of Egypt. They're constantly reminded of this event. And you're right, Tim. It is a definitive marking point in the nation of Israel, Israel's history. Because why? It's an event which separated them permanently from Egypt. Now, many times in their hearts, they wanted to go back. Many times they said, did you bring us out here into the wilderness to, you know, because there's no graves in Egypt? Let's go back. Let's go back to the leeks and the onions and the melons and the garlics and all that stuff, um, which is a pretty meager meal if you ask me, but whatever. Um, but anyways, their point was, the point is that they wanted to go back sometimes, but they were permanently separated from Egypt, okay? Here's the thing. Here's the thing I saw. This particular baptism separated Israel from Egypt, all right? It kept, took them out of that land, took them out of their captivity, and separated them permanently, it was kind of interesting, as I was thinking about this, what to say about this baptism. In a, in a practical application, this is really what every baptism is about. Every one of the baptisms we talked about. John's baptism. What was it a baptism of? Repentance. If you look over at Luke chapter 3, the people ask him, well, what should we do? And he says, hey, those of you that have been you know, publicans, you've been stealing money, stop it and restore it. The, the soldiers, hey, what should we do? Stop doing violence to every man and be content with your wages. It was a, it was a re baptism of repentance. What was it? When they got baptized, they acknowledged that they were going to change. They were going to repent. It was a dividing line for them, okay? That baptism of John, in addition to manifesting Christ to Israel, was a dividing line for those people who repented. What's the baptism? Of, we talked about the baptism with the Holy Ghost, and I, I can't reteach all this, but, you know, um, I believe that that was specific for the new church when visible signs and wonders were happening. And while every believer from the time of, of Christ's resurrection till now receives the Holy Ghost, receives the Holy Spirit, those who received it in the book of Acts, especially early on the book of Acts, had a ma visible manifestation of that. And, and they call it twice, it's called the baptism with the Holy Ghost. What is, what is the dividing line there? What was different before that time? What? Yes. Before that, the Holy Ghost came and went on people in the Old Testament. At that point, from that point, the baptism with the Holy Ghost, permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Never going back. You're not losing it. Saul lost the Holy Spirit. Samson lost the Holy Spirit. David was worried that he was going to lose the Holy Spirit. Not happening now with the baptism with the Holy Ghost, okay? Baptism of fire, we talked about that. That is a, that is a baptism for unbelievers who are immersed into a lake of fire. Who's getting out of that? No one. That is a permanent dividing line for that person. If you get baptized with fire, you're not going back. Hell and the lake of fire is eternal. Okay, yes, separation, absolutely. All right, we talked about, you know, the, this one I had a little hard time, you know, you know, fitting into this little framework, but um, you talked about the baptism of Christ's suffering. You know, for Christ, that was a dividing line. He suffered the wrath of God. That made a distinct dividing line where the sins of all mankind were atoned for once and for all, Hebrews says. All right? You know, up until then, it was the blood of bulls and goats that could never take away sins. When Christ suffers the, the baptism of suffering on the cross, 
He's suffering the wrath of God for our sins. And at that point, once the wrath of God is poured out upon Christ, anyone can have their sins forgiven because of Christ. It's a dividing line, okay? And if you want to put it to us, as far as we do, we do um, experience the baptism of suffering, some of us, um, it identifies us with the shame of Christ. Once you identify with the shame of Christ, you've, you've, set, a, you've set a dividing line in your life, okay? Once you stand up for Christ and you mark yourself as one, someone who's going to identify with Christ, it's very difficult going back from that, okay? Um, you, you know, and if you try to, they'll call you out on it. At, at work, you know, you stand for Christ, and then you decide to try to start partaking with their nonsense again, they're going to call you out on that. You've already, you've already drawn the line in the sand. You might want to go back like the nation of Israel wanted to go back to Egypt, but you've set, you've set the standard now. They know. They know what you are and how, what you identify with, all right? So, and if you suffer for Christ, if you endure ridicule for Christ, it, that really draws that line in the sand. All right, we, talk, we talked about, that's the first four, the baptism by the Spirit of God into Christ. When you're saved, spiritually, you're put into the body of Christ. Forever. You are not losing that status. You are in Christ forever. All right? You know, we talk about the verse in John 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand, which is good. I, I love that application. Um, look at Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians 5. <clears throat> yes. Now in the middle of Ephesians 5, Paul's talking about the way a husband and a wife should be, and it's in the relationship, it's the same relationship that Christ has with his church, all right? So, you know, if he says, you notice at the end, um, in Ephesians 5, verse 32, he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, okay? So while he's telling some truths about the way a husband and a wife should be, he's like, what I'm trying to illustrate is Christ and the church. And one of the things he says about Christ and the church is, look, I'm not trying to rock the boat here today. You're not in Christ's hand. That, that, was a, that was a before the cross, nation of Israel thing. You're not in Christ's hand. Look at Ephesians 5.30. What does he say? Remember, you got baptized into Christ. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. You're not in his hand. You're part of the hand. All right, you are part of the body. You're not getting out of that. Christ is not going to lop off his hand and cast it away. You are permanently secure by being baptized into Christ. You are in his body. You are there, and uh, you're never going back. Just like the nation of Israel got separated from Egypt by the crossing on the Red Sea, that baptism through the sea and through the cloud, you're never going back. You are saved, secure, eternally. You can't do anything to get out of it. You say, well, I committed a sin. Yeah, but you're in Christ who never committed sin. That's what that 1 John 3 passage talks about. He that is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. He said, but I do sin. That's your flesh. Your soul and spirit are sealed inside of Christ who cannot sin. And God, don't worry. God will take care of this thing eventually. And we're going to talk about in the coming weeks how we can, uh, through the Holy Spirit, manage this thing. But um, you're sealed. Okay, into Christ, you're eternally secure and you cannot sin. And we just finished the believer's baptism last week. Believer's baptism, what does it do? 
We talked about it's a public declaration. You are showing the world and you are standing up publicly to show that you have been, you have been saved by being water baptized, okay? That's, that is your public declaration. You're another, another line in the sand there. You're, you're demonstrating what has happened to you spiritually and you're marking yourself as a believer in Christ by that water baptism publicly, okay? So I, th I think uh, while I can't give you a definitive statement about doctrinally what that <laughs> baptism um, of, of Israel is, I believe it's a distinct statement about how baptism is a dividing line, a separation, a new beginning of something. All right? Does it make sense? Is that okay? Did I leave anybody wondering anything? All right. All right. In the last five minutes, for those of you who have been here, or maybe some of you have missed um, some of the lessons, on the back of your outline, I put a summary of all seven of these baptisms, okay? So if you ever want to have a quick view of what, what they are, um, I give you a quick description where you can find the supporting passages. Let's go over them quickly for those of you who just jumped in today for our, for our class, okay? Seven baptisms are... John the Baptist's water baptism. He's baptizing in water. John the Baptist is baptizing Jewish, mostly Jewish repenters in water. What is it? It's a baptism in water for the nation of Israel to repent, and it's also to manifest Jesus Christ to that nation, to them, all right? It's a baptism of John, John the Baptist's baptism, all right? And the, the passages are below that, Mark 1, John 1. Number two, the baptism with the Holy Ghost. As best as I can see, it's an early church phenomenon when visible evidences of the indwelling Holy Spirit happened to believers. Acts chapter 2, there was cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon them. They spoke with other tongues. Same thing happened to Cornelius and his family. All right? They were baptized with the Holy Ghost, visibly evident. All right? You all, we all receive the Holy Spirit of God, but no, not, now we don't visibly see that indwelling. Okay? That baptism with the Holy Ghost was an early church thing. Number three, the baptism of fire. It's a literal immersion, which is what baptism is, a literal immersion into fire. And this is the end of all unbelievers, a lake, a lake of fire. Interesting how God uses that term, a lake of fire. You're immersed into that, okay? Not a baptism you want a part of. And that's why we need to tell other people about it so they can avoid that. Number four, the baptism of suffering. It's a, you know, a type of immersion into suffering. For It was Christ's, Christ's suffering, like we talked about, on the cross, with enduring the wrath of God, and his disciples also enduring suffering from the persecutions of the world, okay? Particularly, this refers to Christ's baptism, but it is also applicable to the disciples. Number five, the baptism by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ. This is the placing of a believer, a believer in the gospel, into the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. It's a spiritual transaction that occurs at the point of salvation. When you trust Christ, this immediately happens. All right. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is the definitive verse on that one. Number six, the believer's water baptism. This is a physical water baptism of believers after they have believed to publicly testify to the world that they identify with Christ, and it demonstrates their baptism into Christ, the previous baptism, okay? And the last one we just talked about, Israel's baptism unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. It's a transition of the nation of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the cloud that followed them. And that's in this passage of 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 2. Congratulations, you made it all the way through. <laughs> all 
All right, is there any questions about this lesson or these baptisms? Yes, sir, Tim. A diploma, you want a diploma? I'll print up whatever you want, man. <laughs> any any uh, thoughts or questions? I think it's a big part of it. It, it, it could be just as simple as that. You might, you might, that might be correct, yeah. It is. It is. Most of these are a beginning. Uh, something new. Not always, but, you know, most of them are. Yeah, well, yeah, depending on which way you look at it, yes, correct. Any other questions or thoughts, clarifications? Okay, that's good. Um, I'm done. <laughs>